Happy Father's Day to all of you here. Just pray that uh, you would sense the love in the place, not only from your kids, but uh, just deep respect for all of us, especially when you resemble the Father heart of God in its purest form, just that true, deep-rooted, unconditional love. And uh, that video communicated that pretty funny, uh, and especially at the end. But we're going to look at how to connect to God and discover that fatherly heart of God here uh, this morning as we dive into Luke 6. It reads like this, verse 1, one Sabbath Jesus was going through the grain fields and His disciples began to pick some heads of grain, rub them in their hands, and eat the kernels. Some of the Pharisees asked, why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Jesus answered them, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, and taking the consecrated bread, He ate what is lawful only for priests to eat, and He also gave some to His companions. Then Jesus said to them, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Verse 6, on another Sabbath, he went into the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was shriveled. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. But Jesus knew what they were thinking and said to the man with the shriveled hand, get up, stand in front of everyone. So he got up and stood there. Then Jesus said to them, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it? He looked around at them all and then said to the man, his like living illustration right next to him, right? Said to the man, stretch out your hand. He did so, and his hand was completely restored. But they were furious and began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. Can you imagine being in a room full of people that are mad at miracles? Can you imagine being in a room with people and somebody stretches out their hand right in front of you and it's healed? And it ticks the room off and they're just like, you know, I just can't fathom this. It's beyond my understanding, but we're going to dive in and see why, really, they would be so upset. And it all revolves around this concept. This is two stories about the Sabbath. And if we don't understand the Sabbath and the laws and the way they, they originated and, and the repercussions of disobeying the laws of the Sabbath, then maybe we won't understand why these Pharisees and keepers of the law, not just these Pharisees weren't just teachers of law, they weren't just teachers of God's law or, or keepers, but they added to the law to become more righteous and holy than everybody else. And so now they're the keepers of lots of laws. So that's the Pharisees, right? So our first point today, because there's four actions, really, there's four challenges to us in this text. There's more, but I'm going to focus on four. And the first is we should worship the source. We should worship the source, not the shadow. Worship the source, 
not the shadow. So these verses about the, the Sabbath, you're, it, 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 this is what the Sabbath means. It's a word meaning rest or to cease from the ordinary. So rest or to cease from the ordinary. What every father wants to do on Father's Day, to just rest, to just cease from the ordinary, right? It's like, I don't know, it's Father's Day. Hand me the remote. Give me a massage. Hand me a bowl of ice cream. Tillamook mudslide, please. With a little bit of melted peanut butter on top? You know, I don't know. But Father's Day, right? That's what we want. We want rest. Well, Sabbath literally just means to rest or to cease from ordinary labor. In the Old Testament, we see that, you know, it would happen on the seventh day. And, and, and that means as Sunday being the first day, the seventh day was Saturday. So Saturday was the Sabbath. That's when the Jewish would, would worship, and, and in many traditions, they still do today. And some Christians practice this as well, religiously. Others have begun to meeting on Sundays, or any day of the week for that matter, but Sunday became the day because of the resurrection of Jesus on Sunday. And so it became Celebration Sunday, and, and it, it shifted from Saturday to Sunday for a lot. But here's its original occurrence in Scripture. Although it wasn't named, the original occurrence is in the creation story. In Genesis 2, 2, by the seventh day, God had finished the work He had been doing. So, on the seventh day, He rested from all His work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, He rested from the work of creating what He had done. So, that's the original, but then the law came in, right? We lived under this cra crazy grace, and then man sinned. And upon sin, there was repercussion, and laws began to be introduced, and trying to regulate and steer how holy looked, right? And so, the introduction of these, Exodus 16, 23 says, and this is where Sabbath is first mentioned in word, He said to them, this is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow is to be a day of rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil. Save whatever is left and keep it until morning. They weren't even supposed to cook, and all the women said, and all the men who usually barbecue say. You know what I'm saying? It was like, here's the deal. They, they weren't even supposed, they were collecting this manna from heaven, but they weren't even supposed to prepare it on the seventh day. They were supposed to collect it all enough just that would keep them through that seventh day. And if they didn't collect enough, they were hungry on the seventh day, and they just collected what they needed or it molded. There's a whole bunch to the story. But then a few pages later, it says in Exodus 20, verse 8, and this is the list of the, the Ten Commandments that so many people fight to still have displayed and are taken down because they offend those who don't follow Jesus, and they kind of pick on the commandments. It's really, it has nothing to do with the commandments. It's, it's God that they're upset with, and, but yet they take it out on these commandments that are posted. And the fourth one is introduced here in Exodus 20, verse 8. The fourth commandment is about the Sabbath. It says, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your animals. Don't dig, Fido. Don't dig today's the Sabbath. 
You just go right on top of the ground, understand, Fido? You know, anyway, this is kind of funny when you think about it. Um, Nor the alien with your gates, within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Right? So this is the heart of the Sabbath. But people kept breaking it. So, a few pages later, is introduced the discipline if you break the Sabbath. Now, get ready for this. Shocker, Exodus 31, verse 14. Observe the Sabbath because it is holy to you. Anyone who desecrates it must be put to death. Whoever does any work on that day must be cut off from his people. For six days work is to be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day must be put to death. The Israelites are to observe the Sabbath celebration, or celebrating it from generation to come, for generations to come as a lasting covenant. So this is why we gathered today. If any of you mowed the lawn yesterday, if any of you cooked yesterday, if any of you brushed your teeth yesterday, if any of you got, you know, perspired at all yesterday, if you drove yesterday, if you walked anywhere yesterday, if you uh, broke a sweat watching one of the World Cup games yesterday, you know what I'm saying? If, there's, if you did any work yesterday, we've got some special juice, we're going to have you line up over here, drink it, and we'll meet you on the other side. Anybody want? No. no. We're all in the line, right? It's like, this is, this is crazy. And it's not necessary. It's not now. Because Jesus' death on the cross was that death we deserve. He took our place and bore upon himself the sins put in place by the law so that you and I could live freely. No longer regulated by these laws, but surrendering our life to Jesus as Lord, surrendering to him so that now we can literally walk in freedom, freedom to mow our grass on a Saturday. Isn't that interesting to think? This is how it's worded in Colossians 2, 16. Do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Worship the source, not the shadow. I love those cartoons when, you know, everybody's afraid of this big, huge shadow that's coming and marching in, you know, and, and everybody's like, ah, and huddling together. It's usually like, you know, Scooby-Doo or like the Wizard of Oz or something, you know, and there's this big shadow and they're just like, ah, and then they realize it's just a little dude walking in with like a light behind him, you know, and, and it's always that case. It's like the shadow, everybody was looking at the Sabbath. But it was a shadow, Colossians is teaching us, of the one who was to come, Jesus. The Sabbath was pointing to Jesus. So when Jesus says the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath, Jesus could very well have said the Sabbath is the shadow revealing the coming of the Lord, and I am He. He could have said that in the room that day. 
just to help them out, maybe to help them figure it out. I have a feeling the Pharisees still would not have listened. They weren't being very teachable through Jesus. They were angry at His following and, and his, his popularity and the fact that He was teaching things contrary to what they're trying to make everyone keep. No longer did we, we have to set a day aside for religious practice. We set a day aside to build our understanding of Jesus and to celebrate all that He has done in and through our lives. We could eat what we wanted to eat and drink what we wanted to drink and celebrate with Him, sing the songs we want to sing. While keeping the practice of rest is vital, and you could find all kinds of studies to its benefit. I mean, this is just a, a principle that's true. If you would give yourself a day of rest, you will benefit. But yet, Jesus paid the price of death once and for all for you and me so that by Him we could make a decision to follow Jesus as Lord and be set free of the mandate of these, these laws or be put to death or cast out because we decided to paint a house on a Saturday or build a shed or clean the pool, whatever, wash the car. So should we practice the Sabbath? Surely rest is vital, but we don't worship the shadow anymore. We worship Jesus. You could do that on any day of the week. There's not anything holy about Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, over another. You, you get your choice worshiping Jesus, the source, versus the shadow is what it's all about, which leads us right into point two. We need to follow Jesus as Lord. Now, this is important. It's, it's different than maybe what we think. Following Jesus as Lord is not following Jesus as like a regulatory mandator, not, not doing everything exactly as he, done, he did. He done. We don't do everything exactly as he done. Get or did, right? No, that's not what we're doing. But he's, he, you know, he's not just a positive example. When he washes feet, in Scripture, it doesn't mean now you and I have to go around and if we really want to serve someone, we're like, yeah, can you take your shoes off? I got to take my cloak off and wash your feet. How awkward is that story, right? I'm certainly not going to do that. One, I don't wear a cloak, but I'm not whooping off my jeans and washing nobody's feet. That's awkward. Um, so you just look at this and you go, you know, we don't have to do these things. These aren't like mandatory practices Jesus was introducing. He was introducing His heart and grace and love. He was walking out love. But making Jesus Lord of your life and identifying yourself with Him, basically surrendering all you are to Him, not just adoring Him from afar or adding Him as a new idol, but literally saying, okay, Jesus, for my life, you are Lord. It's a big moment. And it's different to follow Him as Lord than follow Him as example. It's more than just a confession of faith. It's growing an understanding of what that confession did on the inside of us the moment we made it. So, at risk of boring you with a really long section of Scripture, I'm going to dive into it because I think it teaches us what happens when we confess Jesus as Lord very beautifully. 2 Corinthians 5.11, since then we know what, is, what it is to fear the Lord, we try to persuade men 
What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than in what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, it is for the sake of God. If we are in right mind, it's for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And He died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for Him who died for them and was raised again. Verse 16, and this is really let this sink in. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we were once regarded, or we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old, gone. The new has come. Let me repeat that. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to Himself through Christ, gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to Himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And He has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making an appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made Him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. As God's fellow workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. He says, in the time of my favor I heard you, and in the day of salvation I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor, and now is the day of salvation. Today is the day we should turn the corner of Jesus' example to Jesus as Lord. And here's the inward transformation that happens, Paul's saying. Here's what happens in your spirit when you choose to follow Jesus. When we place our trust in Him, our identity, our DNA shifts, and we become like Him eventually. Maybe not all at first, right? But eventually we become like Him. And, and what happens if we don't become like Him and we go back to our old ways? What begins to happen is this inner conflict. And if we're mean again, if we're rude again, if we do the same sins over again, this inner conflict begins to war against us because even though we're not necessarily aware if we're breaking laws, we sense it in our spirit because we become a new man or woman when we confess Christ as Lord. It's interesting. Romans 7, verse 4, it's worded like this, My brothers, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another, to Him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit to God. For when we were controlled by the sinful nature, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our bodies so that we bore fruit to death. But now by dying to what once bound us, we've been released from the law so that we serve in a new way of the Spirit, not in the old way of the written code. Ephesians 4.22, we were taught with regard to the former way of life, to put off 
your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. When we follow Jesus as Lord instead of as example, we eventually bear fruit in keeping with this new self we've become. I've sat down and had many a coffee with people that are like, it's weird, I just don't desire this anymore that I used to desire. Not understanding the inward transformation that's happening. And you and I who have followed Jesus and who've grown in a relationship with Jesus and discovered this for ourselves must have patience and bear with those who are in the season of discovery that there's an inward transformation and not get bothered by the decisions they make that are according to the old way of their life. But give them grace and all the grace and love necessary, not let standing in judgment, but giving them the grace to become the new man, bearing new fruit that glorify God. And that's what Paul is talking about here when he says, giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in heart. Uh, the people are able to take pride in what th the new fruit in their life and going, man, we've made a difference in somebody's life by loving them. We can take pride in this. We can take pride in our church. It's like saying we could take pride in what open life has done in the community. We could take pride in what we've accomplished through the big give. We could take pride in what we've accomplished through the school supply give and these different initiatives that serve the community. We can take joy in what God is doing through us and bringing clean water to people around the world and giving food to people in times of crisis. We can share stories. But when those who do not know Christ and have not been transformed from the inside out see those stories. They just see good deeds. They just see an impressive moment. But we know it as outward fruit of an inward transformation. Like this is an outward transformation that was started in me. And, and what we're commanded to do is be ready to give a reason for it. Man, be ready to give the answer for why we're doing what we're doing, and it's because Jesus is our Lord. He first loved us, so now we get to love. It all comes back to the source of the shadow, Jesus, who we should follow as Lord. So, if you were here a few weeks ago, we talked about leprosy. Because what would cause a man's hand to be shriveled in this story? It's leprosy. In Leviticus, we're given all the laws regarding leprosy in Leviticus 13 and 14. And, and uh, so you could go back on the, the message archive on livinglifeopen.com and you could listen to that talk if you weren't here on May 25th. And, it, and, and it, you, we talked about just how daring it would be for someone who has leprosy to be in any public arena. They were, they were not supposed to be. They were supposed to be out of the city, out of the, out of the town, their unkept hair, dressed in torn rags, and if anybody was near them, they were supposed to shout, unclean, unclean. be kind of an interesting way to live. And so they were ostracized. They were cast out. So a man sitting in the synagogue listening to Jesus talk with a shriveled hand, he should be put to death. He should be stoned to death by the law 
So not only is Jesus breaking the law in a moment, this man broke the law because he was in a public venue and somehow blended in or everybody would have known the unkept with torn clothes dude is a leper. He should not be here. So he's disguised himself to receive something from Jesus. And in this scenario, we see something that I just, we've got to identify. We've got to hear this. And it, for some reason, just jumped off the page at me. And I'm so aware of it all the time. I'm probably hyper aware of this. But these four words jump off the page to me as Jesus is using this leper as this human illustration in a moment. It says they watched him closely. They watched him closely. Maybe the Pharisees knew there was a leper there, but whatever was happening on this Sabbath day, they're watching Jesus closely. Point three, live aware. People are watching you. Live aware. Jesus called the leprous man up because he was aware the religious were watching closely. Remember, Jesus knows what you're thinking, right? He, he was aware that this was a teachable moment, both for the man who risked his, put his faith in disguising himself to get into this room, and for him to be able to demonstrate the power he had over sickness. And often, as in this story, unfortunately, the religious elite are the ones watching. Oh, where do you go to church? Oh, yeah, I go to open life. Oh, 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 yeah, you're at that church? You know what I'm saying? I don't know. I don't know if we have that reputation. I, th I think amongst my pastor friends, I do every once in a while. It's just like, oh, oh, yeah, that's, oh, okay, open life, okay, yeah, oh, yeah, you've, We've heard what you've done. Some are bitter that we meet here because they tried to meet here before us. Oh, you're open life. Uh-huh. Oh, okay. How you doing? You know, I just love that. How's that church thing going that you're doing? Anyway, that's a different crowd. But you just look at this and you go, the religious elite are looking for you to make a mistake. Oh, what? Well, what's you guys, what do you guys think about this issue? big social bomb right in front of you. You're like, oh, uh, well, you know, let's have coffee sometime. We'll talk about it. They try to get you to mess up in front of a bunch of people. Drives me nuts. But then there's those who are just looking in from the outside. They've felt judged. They've felt drastically hurt by those who are Christians, and, and they're out there watching you because all of a sudden something you've done has allowed them to notice you, and they're desperately wanting you not to fail them. So they start watching, and they're looking for you to be faithful, and they're crushed if you're not, because they were hoping, hoping somebody could do what they've heard could be done in Scripture. They'll question your motives, they'll question your behaviors, but if we are faithful to them, there will be a point where they'll be willing to hear about Jesus with you. 
Maybe from you, maybe over a meal, maybe in a social venue, maybe here. But they will be willing. They'll discover what it is to to be loved by a heavenly Father and that there's no judgment against them and that this is a message, this gospel is good news, not bad news, get your life straight, I'm here to make you feel awful on a Sunday. No, this is good stuff. We should leave feeling great and hopeful and like we can change the world. They'll be spiritually healed, maybe physically even, because that's what Jesus does. We need to grow consistently and be transformed into the new us in Jesus because He's our Lord, bearing the fruit of God, which is love in community because they're watching us, whoever they are. We need to be made new in our minds so that those around us see something different and can encourage, be encouraged that it's possible to be forgiven. Many have determined that God is selfish, greedy, hypocritical, judgmental, hateful, irrelevant, because they've known someone who claimed to be a follower of Jesus, but never maybe allowed themselves to be transformed into their new creation. So they just saw hypocrisy. They saw double-sidedness. And that's why still to this day I can be in a room of business leaders sharing my little 30-second window about open life to, to encourage people how to invite someone to our church if they wanted to refer someone to open life. And I can say uh, really simply, you know, my name is Thad. I'm the founder and pastor of Open Life. We're a church that's uncomplicated. We meet at Bonnie Lake High School. And a good referral for us is somebody who's never been to church or doesn't go because they know a Christian. And the moment I say that, It resonates with half the room because they've all known one who bothered them. And I'll often have a dialogue. They'll go, really? So what kind of church are you? I had two of these conversations this week, one at a mechanic shop, this guy who knew two Christians that were the biggest hypocrites, and we dialogued for like an hour about hypocrites. It was was awesome. I actually love that stuff. And another over coffee. But I had prepared this talk, had it ready. And uh, then someone in our church sent me a link to an article their loved one wrote about watching the church. I was like, no way! This blog is like about the passage I'm talking about. They watched closely. And so I, I was like, oh my goodness. I replied, you would not imagine how much this applies to the talk. So, I'm just going to read the first little excerpt. It's long, so I'm going to spare you all the length, but you have to listen to this through the lens of those who've been hurt by the church are watching. Listen to these words. This is on a blog on the World Wide Web for everybody to read, right? I probably hated most of you at one point or another for what your kind had done at one point in time to me, to those like me, Strangers to you, hate is such a strong word, but, but no, I did. I fact-checked you, had you figured out. There was such perverse safety in knowing the enemy. I sought out and read everything that you ever wrote, your stances, your positions, your apologetics, your conclusions. It sometimes took me a while to find the evidence 
but make no mistake about it, I'd find it. I was Inspector Javert, and you were Valjean to me. Anybody know the illustration there? Les Mis. I know every word to the songs and that, but I'll spare you right now. I didn't care about your past remorse or present burdens. Your people had stolen the bread from me. You kept me from the table. And I wouldn't relent until every stone was lifted to find that one rotten piece, that smoking gun, that one piece of evidence to seal the deal. Do you remember what you wrote, what you said? It was three, five, ten years ago. Sounds like we're talking about Justin Bieber now, but we'll keep going. Here it is. Nobody even got that. That just went… I didn't even hear an audible laugh, but if you read the news… They always dig up this old stuff on my Biebs guy, you know? Anyway, so here we go. Here it is. What do you have to say? Look at it. I have proof. The vindicated. I would never forgive the affronts. I had you figured out, and you deserved your place in your own private hell. I knew you, sized you up, dismissed your memes, tweets, thoughts, and profundant smarter than me right there with that word. I have no idea. Here we go. And there would be reckoning. I held the Rosetta Stone that unlocked you, and there was nothing, nothing, nothing that you could do or say to make me look at you with anything but revulsion, for you were dead to me now. You, the fraud, I had you all figured out, all of you, until I met my friend. And I'll rest there. The power of somebody who's become a new creation in Christ. This is so many people's story. They're watching you. They're desperate for you to be that friend. That when they dig three, five, ten years deep, maybe they see an old you and they see and recognize a change happened here. What is this? This story should be able to be said about each one of us over and over and over again because people are watching us, and they were watching Jesus. Doing the faith is drastically different than being compelled by Jesus' love for others. Becoming a new person, serving Jesus as Lord, live a compelled life inspired by the source of the shadow, follow Jesus as Lord, and know you're being watched closely. So reflect Jesus with everything you have at every moment. Point to Him as your source and watch the world around you be changed by God's love. And our final point for today, it's worth the stretch to get your breakthrough. It's worth the stretch. Jesus asked the man to come out of the crowd, up onto the platform. Some of you, that your weird meter went off the chart and your depends were worthy at that moment. You're just like, this is not comfortable for me. What if I grabbed one of you and said, you know, just randomly call you out by name. It's that moment you're like, uh-oh, pastor's got an illustration. I'm about to get in trouble, right? I don't know. I've been in those evangelistic crusades when they start prophesying people's issues publicly. They're like, you, you looked at someone lustfully yesterday. You, you've got sickness. You, you've got something in your vision. You, and you're just like, oh, dear Jesus, forgive all my sins right now before this man hears them. You know, you're just like, I don't want him to know what I looked at yesterday. And you're just like, holy, holy Lord. Anyway, so, you know, we've been in those meetings. But Jesus calls this guy out of the crowd, and it's going to be a human illustration. He has him stretch out his hand first. 
I bet everybody thought he was going to do what he did in other illustrations that they'd heard of, that he was going to lay his hands on him, pray, and then like his shriveled hand would be made well, but instead he asked him to extend his shriveled hand. Like put your, put your weaknesses right out there. Extend them out. Put your issues out there. Put your, your indecisiveness out there. Put your weaknesses in front of everyone and then watch God touch you. We all want to be made well before we stretch out our hand. We don't want to inconvenience ourselves or stretch ourselves while we're still being made well, or if we're not well yet, but it says three simple words, He did so. When Jesus asked Him to stretch out His hand, He did so, and then He was completely healed. It took an act of faith. He had to stretch Himself for His breakthrough. Your breakthrough or miracle may just be a stretch away. It may just be a simple stretch away. And in the spirit of we bought a zoo, in the why not spirit that open life kind of operates in, in the 20 seconds of insane courage, the 20 seconds of insane bravery that promises to allow something great to happen in your life, as it's said in the movie. Maybe some today, you need to place your faith in Jesus as Lord. And for that, that's a huge stretch because it's easy to say Jesus is a cool example. But no, okay, I'm crossing over to Jesus is Lord. Maybe today you're asking for healing or you've never asked for healing because you just, it's too much of a stretch for you to be healed. Oh, it's worth the stretch. Maybe walking in new life, new ways, new fulfillment is a stretch for you. Becoming a new person, I like the old person. But you realize there is a real change happening inside of you. Maybe it's moving into middle school from elementary that's a stretch for you that's worth it. And you're sitting on the front row at Open Life. On some, oh, not picking on anybody in particular. Maybe it's a stretch to go to your first youth gathering. You're like, oh, it's cool to watch and hear the gospel and, and read the Bible on my own, but to go amongst my peers and identify myself as someone willing to grow in Jesus and show up to the barn in a couple weeks, it's a stretch, but it's worth it. Maybe it's going to college from high school. Maybe it's pursuing a future, taking a new job transition. Or maybe it's from personal faith to actively sharing your faith. The stretch is worth it. And you might feel like you're fumbling all over your words and you have no idea what to say. But through repetition, you'll figure it out. And you'll be an example. Your stretch will be worth it. People will see. They're watching already. So here on Father's Day, I want to give us an opportunity to respond to to this word. I want to give us an opportunity to surrender our lives to Jesus as Lord through a simple act of faith in Him. But as well, I want to give us a chance to have that, mm, that healing or that deliverance or that act of courage that we just need. We just need to say, Jesus, okay, I'm going to stretch. If you ask me to do it, I'm going to say yes. And so, I want to conclude in this way. If you're just going to be willing to be like this leprous man who extended his hand and the disciples that were around him, if you're going to be like them who would be willing, if Jesus says do it, 
you're going to do so. If you're going to be a do so person, there's all kinds of responses on the back of your connection card, and I hope you filled it out. I hope you've checked one of those boxes because we're going to collect them in the buckets in a second. But I want to challenge you in the responsiveness. As we sing a song this morning, as an act of response to this passage, if you're making that step of crossing over the line of faith saying, Jesus, your Lord, and if you say to stretch, I will do so. While we're singing, if that's you, I just want you to stand as an evidence of saying, okay, if you ask me to go, I'm going to go. So I'm going to pray. We're going to sing. And during the song, if you're like, I'm crossing the line if you ask me to. I'm stretching out my hand if you ask me to. If you're going to be a do-so person, you can stand as we sing. Lord, I love you. I am so stinking excited that you give us passages like this that reach right into our heart and challenge us to give you all of us, to make you the authority of our life, to make you Lord of everything. But not just that, Lord, to be risk takers and those who would operate in faith people are watching. They need us to be faithful to you. And so, Lord, I just pray that this would be a room full of people that would be inspired by your word, would be focused on Jesus as Lord, if the source, not the shadow. And when you challenge them to do something, maybe it's loving someone, maybe it's their healing that they need, maybe it's just crossing the line of faith and inviting you into their heart to be Lord today. Maybe they're going to check that top left box and say, I'm following Jesus today. And I'm not just following Jesus as an example. It's Lord time. If they're going to be a do-so person today, as we sing this song, I pray they would rise right where they're at. In your name we pray. Amen.